I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustleshare PDAX. Also powered by Podmachine, the simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. A VC I talked to that, you know, uh, he was saying that, you know, whatever a founder tells you their model is or their uh, projections are, divide it by two immediately. They're not even going to be hitting half that. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustler Podcast. I'm using my old mic and I hope I uh, sound more recognizable like the season one or season two thing. But again, we had to go old school. Not because my guest is old school, okay? Because he is. I've been wanting to get this guy for the longest time. I just got shy. So shout out to Artie Lopez for reminding me that I should be interviewing this OG because I've known so many guys that started from one of the companies that he co-founded way back when gaming was not play to earn yet. All right, and look at it now. This is literally one of the forefathers of that industry. But before I get carried away, 
let's welcome to the show one of the OGs of, of, of the startup ecosystem, Mr. Niel Zagondon of EduSuite. Yeah, welcome to Hi. the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me to be on the show. And again, thank you so much for making time. I know this is going to be a little hassle for you, but I'm going to make sure I uh, make it worthwhile. So let's go straight to the point now. Okay, and I'll be asking you the million-dollar question. Niel, what's your hustle? So my name's Niel Daganden. When uh, when Ron told me I'm the OG, <laughs> I had to Google what OG means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I've been around in uh, well, we didn't call it the startup industry, but you know, I've been uh, doing new tech businesses for more than two decades already. Uh, back in the games and even like. Prior to that, I already had a business. Uh, right now, wow. I'm full-time with a company called EduSuite. So we're an edtech uh, company. Mm-hmm. And we primarily cater to schools and universities, uh, originally colleges and universities, but now we've expanded to uh, basic ed, uh, kinder, wow. high schools as well uh, as our client base. Uh, there's a long history why I got to that uh, sort of uh, business or that sort of startup. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, I've been doing it for the past, since 2017, so for the past five years, wow. uh, steadily increasing the number of uh, schools that are on our platform, mm-hmm. uh, that are being managed by our platform. That's amazing. And again, the history is actually what we came here for. Because, Niel, I need you to buckle up. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. This is a Project 2 3 type of jeep <laughs> so again I, I, I love Niel because again he, well, we're going to talk about games in a bit literally but just a little shout out to the community that I grew up in I grew up in Kamuning Road and CIIT before it, before it was a CIIT there was just an uh, not that old building there's a Korean tofu uh, company there that occupied i tried applying when i was literally in college they didn't get me because i don't know maybe my english too maybe i cast too hard but <laughs> but again before we get um carried away and we're gonna go all the way back because you mentioned that before anino games you were already you already had businesses but before you even had businesses how did you fall in love with technology? Were you a geek growing up? What, what, what was the fascination? Because I think uh, our, our inclinations for tech doesn't really happen in the workplace. It happens before that. And yeah. Was there any fascination with, with geek culture? or uh, It wasn't even called that. Games or even entrepreneurship? Were there any influences? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say I was a geek. Back then, we might have called it a nerd. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was in uh, grade school, high school, I was okay. already uh, into uh, figuring out games. Uh, I was wow. into like uh, not just playing games, but figuring out how, how they work. You know, I, I was trying to hack into it and figure out uh, what sort of cheats I can do with the games that I was playing, uh, with Beckett, and then yeah, you know. with like hex <laughs> hex editors. I'm not sure if you remember, you yeah. know, hacking yeah. save files mm-hmm. uh, back during the time when games were still in floppy disks. Yep. Uh, so like fast forward a few years, I started uh, delving or experimenting with creating games. Uh, wow. Like early high school, uh, probably uh, with 
with Visual Basic as my original tool because it was the, you know, you had to self-study everything. There was no like internet research or no game engines that I could use. So it was the simplest sort of game engine I can find that uh, okay. that I can do like make your own adventure type games uh, wow. and like text-based games uh, in high school. And okay. uh, that's, that's actually what drove me into taking up computer science in college where oh. I wanted to... Uh, well, a lot of people would say that they wanted to make games when they grew up. And, you know, I guess during my batch, I was one of the only ones that actually pursued it, uh, yeah. trying to make games uh, when, I, when, I, uh, when I graduated from college or even during right. college. Mm-hmm. But was there really like, because I, I, I've met several people. And again, one of them, shout out to my co-founder, JC Velasquez in Chatbot PH. He was the one who helped me out. And a little bit in Party File also when we, when we, we launched that Two startups ago, which my God, that was almost ten years ago. Um, I want to find out. Here's the thing: because when when you want to create games, and I, I I've heard this narrative that I just really want to make games, but business wasn't really the purpose or the 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 the, the sole um, objective of trying to make a game, right? If if it, if it yeah, it's not great, yeah, but that's true. How, how do you find the love for games and eventually? find that love or at least the, the profitability because there's always going to be bills that need to be paid. Yeah. Right? How did you mesh those two things together? Uh, well, by, uh, by going through a lot of mistakes, okay. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, at the start, it was really just because, you know, I want to make games and I want to make this my profession, but you know, to make this my profession, I, I, I mean, I didn't really even want to start or, or you know found a company at the start okay. i didn't really want to create my company i was uh but there was no other choice there wasn't like any other like game companies that were hiring there were no other game companies period so you know right. uh, i couldn't like apply for any company and uh i guess i looked at a couple of companies abroad but uh at that time i was in college i needed to finish it and you know okay. i i got too excited and you know why just uh, why don't we create our own company at the start and uh uh, we uh, prior to that, I had like enough money uh, from my previous business that I poured into making my own game company. But yep. uh, and I loaned uh, a part of that uh, part of that capital. But yeah, when that money was running out, it was really when you know reality struck that I, ne- I really need to find a good business model in order to fund my game development company and uh, make it profitable, not just you know what. Uh, for a lot of people, the tendency is I, I'm gonna create a game that I love playing. But yeah. if you're gonna, if you're really looking to uh, make games a sustainable business or a sustainable uh, studio, game development studio, you need to be able to find your market, and that market might not necessarily be uh, the games that you like playing. You know, it's not it's not gonna right. be the same market as you are. So there's a lot of areas you'd be surprised. There's a lot of like subsectors in the game development industry, mm-hmm. and uh, we had to find ours as well. Got it. But during the early two thousands, what I really wanted to find out is that okay, games now again. Look, this is a twenty to thirty year path before it became before gaming now became a whole new industry of its own, right? It just keeps growing and growing and growing. But as one of the forefathers that really laid the foundation, walk walk to me how how you make money off of games because now it's so much easier. There's play to earn. You can get you know uh, in game purchases and whatnot. But before, if the objective was to make 
money off of games, who was even the clientele and how do you even make money off of that that early? Uh, well, during my time, if you wanted to make like a game that will uh, fill up a CD-ROM, you know, uh, wow. uh, a disc, you know, something that's, uh, I forgot, like 650 megabytes big or like multiple discs, you know, multiple right, CDs, right. it really has to be a distribution deal. So uh, yeah, during that yeah, time, yeah. Uh, part of my job was to walk around game shows, walk around E3, GDC with, wow. uh, well, depends if I could rent a high-powered laptop, I would, but there was an instance where I couldn't, so I had to bring a desktop with me walking around the exhibition floor <laughs> and demo it to uh, <laughs> demo it to publishers. And, you know, wow. it, it would be a separate publisher uh, depending on the territory. You know, if uh, you wanted to go to US, Walmart, whatever, there's a separate publisher you talk to for that mm-hmm. and a separate one for the Sc- Scandinavian countries, like different right. sections of Europe. Uh, and you would have to localize it for each of those uh, countries. You know, you would have games for uh, Eastern Europe. You had games for the CJK region. So th- there would be uh, different publishers for for those types of games. Uh, I guess at that time, downloads and casual games were not yet mature enough as a business model that yeah. you could earn money uh, online, but uh, not as big as a physical distribution deal. Right. Uh, yeah, and you know there were complications tied to that as well yep. you know aside from the localization the uh physical manufacturing of the disc yes. the digital rights management and all that wow. <laughs> uh, went went into it now okay again some when you when you are a first mover in any fix i kind of kind of relate a little bit right and in a lot of what the companies that i've i've done i'm usually a first mover or i'm very early in the game and there's going to be so many new things that as a first mover, when you do something new and you're not just catching on to a really ripe market, that you're going to have to take hits for everybody kind of, kind of thing. And, you know, <laughs> and it comes in multiple fronts. You know, for example, it's going to be hard to sell it. It's going to be hard to create a team because nobody even understands what the hell it is. You know? And even scaling and getting to that profitability point, when you're early in the game, you're going to have to kind of ride the wave until it becomes really big right sure, yeah that's true how, how did you build a team that's what i want to understand because there's <laughs> no such thing as a ready game developer as we know as we know it now you have to build from scratch how did you build that team that allowed you to make those those uh deals that you eventually have uh yeah i, I think what you're talking about there's a like saying uh there's a like quote for that sort of uh uh, where the first explorers are the ones that get shot, and it's the like second wave of explorers yes. are the ones that si- <laughs> settle the country. Correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but back to the question, uh, building the team. It was you know there were no people who had experience with game development back then, so yeah. we had to look for people that were really passionate about the uh, game development. We we. We had our own PR naturally without having to pay anyone because you know we, we were the first game development country, so there were news outlets that featured us. So whenever uh, we made the move, uh, we were hiring for an art director, for example. Uh, we would uh, we would get applications from people who are really passionate about game development, and they would come from like other industries. You know, they would come from ad agencies that wanted to go into game development, and uh, like for developers, they would come straight out of college and their like thesis was in game development or something like that so uh we would have to sort of learn ourselves 
uh, the technologies oh, yeah. and uh, you know there were a lot of mistakes uh, yeah. made during that time because we had to learn everything and there was no one to I guess there were no game engines uh, that we had that we were able to use or, or mm-hmm. there were ones available that were really expensive unlike now where you can like get Unity or Unreal Engine for free right, right. Um, like back then if you wanted to uh, get a game engine I, mm-hmm. I guess the cheapest one was something like $10,000 or, or <laughs> uh, just to license just to license one for one game so uh, that, those were the challenge back then so you know we decided to build our own technologies and we had to learn uh, building those technologies and for those who really ne- needed to get people with passion yeah. to uh, to be able to you know research on their own on how to uh how to get there that's amazing now all right let, I'll, I'll i'll fast forward this a little bit because you did this for a long time but here's the thing again if you're the first explorer and uh statistics say that it doesn't look good for you usually right uh, because again the those ones you have the target in your back you're gonna have to take the hits majority of the time and the other thing that did not exist is vc funding like it's how how it is now you know i mean you're your your former guys right like gabby dizon is now taking uh you know uh the, the is reaping the benefits of all that hustle way back with you but how yeah. I want to find out because again I respect where respect is due, right? And you had to plow this through when it was not sexy, when you know games are few and far between, and you know you're gonna take gamble a, on a one game and it doesn't it doesn't you know hit the traction that you want. How did you stay afloat for a long time? And I just want to find out for context how long did you do that in trying to stay afloat and profitable? And make ends meet. Uh, well, I guess like when we released our first game, uh, we we thought that you know the original goal was to release the first game and generate enough cash flow to fund the next game and the next game and the next yeah. game after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know things don't uh, oh. always follow the plan you had in mind, right? So yes. we thought that we were doing well. We had a good cash flow for the first few months uh, when we released the game, but taking into account the curve that, you know, after your release, you have a, a peak in sales. Yep. And then, you know, for cool. box products, it eventually enters into a long tail, right? Yep. And, you know, after a while, after a few months, we realized that this is not going to be sustainable. We won't have enough cash to yep. um, to fund our next few games. That's when, you know, your startup mentality uh, mindset would have to kick in that I really need to pivot in order to, uh get my company on track so what we did was we used our first game as our portfolio to uh Mm. get other game development contracts into uh the studio you know uh we made this game we can create your games for you um so that's you know we turned into an outsourcing firm which at that time uh was really the one you know which really saved us from having to close down Uh, but we didn't even start with creating full games we started with making bits and pieces of a game right mm. uh, like the the artwork the production art that is needed for the game or even uh, uh, entered into serious gaming where we had wow. to uh, use game technologies for different industries okay. like for example using it for industrial design uh, product design 
we used it for architecture where you know instead of uh going through a level and shooting people you'd have to go through a house and place furniture so so uh, using the same <laughs> like technology yeah. now oh, or like the sims from before oh, yeah you. yeah kind of but it had to be uh but the purpose was not for entertainment it was to sell houses or to sell <laughs> buildings right uh so uh, we had to pivot and it wasn't easy uh, because we were bootstrapping. We did get like contacts from people who wanted to invest. But at that time, when they said investment, it's actually more a takeover or a Acqui- buying your Acqui- company. Yeah, it's an acquisition, <laughs> not even an acquire. You know, we want to get into wow. game development. And, you know, when we say invest, even investors back then, it would mean majority ownership of your company and you'd essentially oh, be working for them. So we had to bootstrap for like uh, a decade and a half. Um, and um, yeah, and we had to, because games were a really uh, fast moving industry, you know, one year it would be Facebook games and the next year it would die down and HTML5 games that never took off or, you know, <laughs> some new Nintendo platform or yeah. or whatnot, right? Uh, and Flash games and then, you know, uh, yeah. it wouldn't work and games for the Nokia Series 40 and Series 60 and then it became the iPhone and the Android. So uh, there, was, there were lots of new technologies that if you, for example, invested in the wrong technology or researched in the wrong technology and the industry didn't go that way, you'd have to, yeah. you know, waste all these resources in uh, in technologies that are not going to be profitable for your studio. Uh, wow. We, I, I think I can count at distinctly at least three times that we had to uh, significantly downscale because oh, things no. didn't go our way, right? Uh, but yeah, we had to per- persevere through that. If cash flow wasn't coming through, we'd have to downsize the studio and have to explain to the people that, uh, you know, uh, there was the 2008 crisis that yep. uh, shut down our entire serious game division, uh, for example. Right. And uh, there were a couple of other times where uh, I guess we didn't pivot fast enough to where mm. the industry is headed that we had to um, we had to uh, significantly reduce. And it's not just something that you know, just because we were an independent studio, we were uh, we were forced into this. Uh, even the largest studios in the industry, even if you were a big multi-million dollar publisher, you were not really immune to getting uh, shut down eventually or getting acquired or uh, having to, uh, I, I guess, like redo your business model because, you know, things were really that fast uh, in the game development industry. You can only do so much, right? But last question before we take our first break. Because at the end of the day, again, there's so many external factors that you can control and trends shift left and right. But at the core of this, again, you're going to have to make tough decisions. You're going to have to make great decisions. There's ebbs and flows, highs and lows. The core of this is going to be you as the sole founder. And it's being in the game for that long, a decade and a half, I, I do not I do not know a lot of people that have been through a startup, made it through the worst, made it through the best, and still the same now. Okay. <laughs> I want to know from your point of view, Ned, what are those things that you learned along the way that allowed you to ride that wave for a long time? Because as a founder, again, every single loss takes something out of you every single win it's it's a win but you know from the it's never a straight line it's like a richter scale of 
uh, unprecedented proportions, right? But how did you get to those? Uh, and what are those learnings that you learned? Uh, well, in terms of learnings, there's a lot. You know, it's I, I'm now in my probably fourth company. So yeah. uh, all those learnings from two decades of experience is something I'm applying now to my company. So, uh, you know, from all that, from the right hiring, the right HR, you know, HR is king, uh, the right HR strategies. HR is king, amen. Yeah. <laughs> you scale, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, cash flow management, uh, investor management, you know, if, I really learned a lot. It's not something I can compress down to this podcast. Absolutely. Probably if you talk, you ask me to talk about my learnings, I'll be here the entire day talking about them. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, you know, one of the things that got me through, it's just perseverance, you know, like all the great companies that, uh, that I guess lasted through the years, they all had, you know, perseverance in common, you know, going through those tough times with a positive mindset that, um, these are temporary and it's it's also about perspective right i mean if this shuts down what will happen where can you go next so because if you don't have that sort of perseverance and perspective you know the the anxiety of uh, running a startup will paralyze you to the point that you know if you're paralyzed you can't do anything and that's gonna further or it's just gonna stress you out <laughs> get you older I, uh, older, yeah. <laughs> I can relate because I'm sort of like in the middle of that stretch at the moment. And <laughs> this conversation with you is really helpful because you're right. You know, the, the successes, the lows, they're yeah. all temporary. But, 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 yeah, no. yeah, but one thing I found out about myself is I'm really looking for that, I guess you call it excitement of uh, being a startup founder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after I uh, after my uh, game company got acquired, I said that you know I'm gonna take a break, I'm gonna retire, uh, you know, spend a few years doing nothing, travel the world or whatnot. <laughs> uh, but uh, after six months of doing nothing, I realized yeah, I'm not, I'm too not, much, man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> not for this. <laughs> I was getting, you know, my temper was way up. Uh, I, I became the house house band where I had to bring the kids to school and do the grocery shopping, oh, and I couldn't travel the world because you'd miss your kids. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, after six months, my it's even my wife that told me that you know you need a job. <laughs> Wow, so that's, that's when amazing. I started at the suite. Yeah, that's where All I started. Right. Now let's take company. our first break and then we'll talk about uh, when we come back. Let's talk about how you then started at suite and also your school CII. Okay. Shout out, Kamuning. Let's talk about that more after the break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Niel Dagundon, who again told us how you were able to make it through the rain, like Mariah Carey. I'm pretty sure you know this because you're probably from the same generation that I did. You kids, Google who Mariah Carey and how she made it through the ring, okay? But I want to understand first um, from this point of view, right? So you're, you were absolutely correct in what you said that, you know, the thrill of it sometimes, it's not the destination, it's the journey of really yes. going crazy when things are going bad. It's like, you're, 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 like you want to throw up and whatever type of thing you want to do, but also making it feel like it's worth it because I've had that experience. I lost everything in Party File. I, I, I was able to sell my company and in Chatbot PH. And again, this guy is one of the finishers. There's even a book a few years back, okay, <laughs> of the few people in the Philippines who've gotten to exit in the Philippine uh, startup ecosystem. But walk me through how that worked. Um, because again, after hustling for so long, to eventually get there, how did that happen and what did that feel like? Uh, well, I, I guess I wasn't really actively looking for a company to acquire mine. Uh, okay. That was way back 2014, mm-hmm. uh, eight years ago, when uh, I was taking up my master's in, uh, in entrepreneurship and I was doing an industry study. And at that time when I said that we as a game company needed to specialize, you know, uh, it's not that uh, I needed a game to be made because it was outsourcing. Uh, we specifically specialized in um, in casual games, uh, mm-hmm. both mobile and PC casual games. And okay. uh, at that time, um, when I was doing my industry study, I was figuring out that the uh, space or the industry for casual game outsourcing was slowly shrinking. It mm. was, I guess, the rise of the independent developer because you know the ah. Google Play was there and yeah, uh, anybody can do it. Yeah, iTunes was there. So the big, you know, uh, during casual games started when all these, and I guess it peaked when all these big companies started investing in their casual game development division. You know that yeah. Activision would have Activision value, and when they needed games 
need they would contact a studio like us that specialize in that sort of games so um so during that time uh i i guess i noticed it internally because project sizes were getting smaller as well but we were still doing well uh we were uh we were still profitable at that time uh during one of the game conferences i um like a few years back i met these um danish developers that were they had a studio in thailand and at that time they were a company that uh just started uh so i was even you know they were their table was beside mine and they were saying that you know look at the studio uh look at this you know uh company beside us they were getting he was getting meetings with electronic arts with disney uh when i was there and i was sort of like uh mentoring them on what wow. it is uh, the game industry and then like two three years later uh suddenly after three games that uh that wasn't profitable for them suddenly their fourth game made tens of millions of dollars and they had all this you know so it's a hit or miss right in the casual game market so suddenly they had all this uh free-flowing cash flow and they needed to uh expand fast in order to be able to uh maintain that momentum as well and two three years later we i met the same guys you know we uh we had a chat how how's your studio doing how's your uh uh you know and i mentioned that you know it's okay but you know this casual games market is uh, slowly shrinking and then uh during during that same conference uh one of the co-founders of that studio uh casually mentioned that you know if you guys are wanting to get out our studio is wanting to expand as well and i know your studio i know you do good work uh would you be open to an acquisition deal and that's uh basically how uh that's our yeah it's well, it wasn't really our first offer. We've had a couple of offers in the past, but uh, mm. these guys were another game development studio. It was not some multinational conglomerate that's looking to get into game it was development. Right yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, since it was an acquire, all my guys, you know, our mission was really to uh, start the game development industry in the Philippines. You know, get talent, give talent, game development talent a place to go. And these guys were, were going to be able to uh, continue on in that mission, being that they were a game development studio also. Exactly. So yeah, it, it got closed like in a few months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, after that, after that uh, conference, I went to Thailand to visit their headquarters. We signed a term sheet then. They did, they did due diligence. And after, after I think like three months, uh, the deal closed. That's amazing. So again, uh, massive congratulations because this was happening pre the boom that was happening. And again, this, <laughs> this goes to show how much you put in in terms of uh, putting in, not just putting in great work, but also making a great network to support that. But here's the question, because I also felt this way after my acquisition on Chatbot PH. And I'm pretty sure you kind of gave that already that you know you, you, you've gotten the itch. But even after the, before even the itch, the biggest question in my mind was, what now? So now what? Like, what am I going to do? Right? Okay. So we have this. We, it's a win. Finally, we're off. Did you have that, that, that big question? And what did you do next? Uh, well, after the acquisition, I had to stay on with the company as part mm. of my contract to turn okay. things over. So uh, my contract was actually just one year uh, to stay on with the company. But I ended up ended up staying two years with them because you know it was why not it was i had nothing else to do it was a good environment uh they upgraded the benefits totally you know everyone had 
uh, big IMAX now and <laughs> free food in the <laughs> office and free flowing beer in the office. Wow. So, so why not, right? That's a good but life after, right there. Yeah, but after two years, you know, after a while, because my project managers were no longer reporting to me, they were reporting to the headquarters, right? So yeah. uh, what's all, all that's left for me to do is check the lights if they're uh, <laughs> if the lights <laughs> are time. operating yeah. <laughs> and everything you know i was just doing admin work so i got oh, wow. bored and uh that's when i decided that you know i wanted to re- i wanted to retire uh, uh but yeah i mean uh you're correct i was looking i didn't at that time i didn't know that there was an itch you know <laughs> i just i just wanted to uh not work maybe yeah. travel and whatnot yeah. but yeah after six months uh i realized that i needed to start another company or you know at least work uh that's when i came up with edusuite and uh you know if uh, i i know that well aside from the non-compete i had with my acquisition uh yeah. uh one other passion of mine was really in education so from uh from actually from the game company i started at the suite because i started the school way before that uh in 2008 which is like 14 years ago now during the time that i was running the game company wow so you had two businesses at the same time when ciit and by the way that's a school so ciit is in kamuning road but before that i think i'm not sure if this is the first first location they're in uh Thomas, Thomas Marato, Marato, yeah. Yes, that was our first branch. <laughs> uh, it's not a nightclub; it's a spa, I think. <laughs> no, but there was a club in that that building. Oh, there was a center Ibiza. stage back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on the there second was a floor. club there before Ibiza was the name. Uh, I knew because okay. I was in the nightlife industry, so I was like, okay. I know there. It might not have been the same time as we were there. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that was that was a that was amazing. Oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember that nightclub now, but. Uh, I think they were only there like a couple of months and then, you know, they ran ran into trouble. Yes. So, yeah. There was a club before. Yeah, yeah. I remember. So, yeah, this this school, before we talk about EduSuite, just again, that's basically your your first dip into education. Why Mm -hmm. why a school of art? And why technology and, and, you know, uh, creatives? Because I've met some of your graduates. One One of my, your students actually work with me now in, uh, Podcast Network Asia, shout out Mickey Del Rosario, that's his name. Um, so, wh- why why that? Uh, yeah, well, the school was actually there to address a problem we were facing in the game development industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a meeting after association, be- association meeting after association meeting, we were complaining that G-Dap. there's not enough talent. Yeah, we were, you know, the ones graduating from college were all uh, yeah, like <laughs> theoretical. Yes. Yeah, their skills were very theoretical. They were not getting like industry training at all because the ones teaching programming weren't programmers, for example. <laughs> right. So uh, people kept on complaining, and I just said, you know, uh, why not do something about it? <laughs> mm. So that's how me and my partners uh, got started with creating a creating a school. Uh, none of me. None of us, uh, it was my family and another family uh, that were partners. None of uh, us were came from the education industry, actually. And uh, I guess we saw this opportunity of a Malaysian company wanting to uh, go international. So it was originally a franchise of a Malaysian of a Malaysian education wow, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> that we started here because, you know, since we didn't have a background in education, we needed to import 
a lot of the learning materials and the curriculums and the the books that uh, we were going to be using uh, for the school that we were starting. So that's how uh, that's how CIIT started, uh, you know, and it started. Uh, I, I guess there was there were like we had to experiment with a lot of courses at the start. So we experimented we experimented with all the courses that were offered in the. In the Malaysian branch, yeah. Ah, okay. So, so, but yeah, we uh, the multimedia arts and the technology courses were the ones that were really applicable, and yeah. uh, we wanted to have a course that will directly feed into the creatives industry. You know, uh, feed into game development, feed into uh, even software development. Yep. So, yeah, the school was an answer to that problem, and EduSuite was an an answer to my school problem. So, yeah. so see how it all like. It all connects together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a synergy right there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's true. And again, just knowing, I, I, I know, I know a couple of CIIT graduates, and I don't know what you guys feed those kids or how you, what you teach those kids, but they're just talented. Before they even graduate, because they usually start out as interns, they're great already. Sometimes they're even better for than those. Uh, who already had like two years experience they're just yeah. ready to contribute what's the yeah thank you to hear thank you that's good to hear <laughs> no it is it is no no, yeah. no shit uh, the the first one uh our name where what's her, what's her name his name is sam forgot her last name but he's the one she's the one who created the party file logo that i had and again uh mickey he works with us in podcast network asia and he's doing a heck of a job right um they're they're ready that's the thing it's readiness employable yeah. and just you know has it, what's the worst thing you can have when you have a creative? Is someone you hire a creative and they're not creative, and they don't know what to do? Like what the hell? That's what we hired you for, right? And the, the graduates that I've encountered with you guys are just ready and beaming with so much crazy stuff, <laughs> and that it turns out well majority of the time. What's the approach there? Because for you to harness that talent and turn that output ready before they even graduate, there's something special about what you guys do. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's a really a sick, secret formula, but you know, being ready, the industry readiness—that's really our mission, vision uh, for the school. So you know, everything we do uh, goes towards making sure that the student is ready. So, like, uh, I guess the talent people who really who apply to our school uh, really wants to go into that kind of industry because you know, passion is one of our core values in the school. Um, it's like in other schools, like if take up like nursing or even computer science a lot a good portion of those students are are students who went into that course to accounting finance whatever or medicine because their parents asked them to go into that course but if you look at our student population it's really like 99% i chose this course for myself because i really want to get into uh this industry and you know harnessing that enthusiasm uh, you just need, yeah. Just you just need to give them like industry re industry instructors for one. Like uh, majority of our instructors come from the industry. Uh, unlike other schools, where majority of the teachers are full time yeah. academics, ours it's the other way around. It's really wow. industry teachers. Uh, and then you know, and then after that, just um, addressing whatever needs to be addressed, addressing the problems. Like you know, initially we were getting feedback that our students were really good. We were getting uh, they they had the right skills, the right uh, technical skills, but they had issues in um, well, two things: communication is number yes. number two is hygiene. 
bath. Like, uh, <laughs> coming, coming to work without taking a bath, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. So we had to make a campaign to address those sort of issues. Oh, uh, and that's how it became part of our that curriculum. That, you know, that right. uh, you know, you need to be presentable and you need to uh, improve on, you know. So now communication is a big part of our curriculum, even from mm. when they start in our company. So uh, just... Just addressing those issues. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a campaign called CPAG, C P A G. So communication, punctuality, attendance, and grooming. So grooming and is grooming. the part. <laughs> so so at that time it was really uh, you know what would uh, what would get these students to the next Amazing. level. And uh, right now it's we're pretty happy. I think like around. I think we have a 92% satisfaction rating among our uh, <laughs> I thought we have a 92% bath, bath rating. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about, about our interns. And we have like, right now we have more companies than we have students going into, you know, more company partners than we have students getting into internships because we've had good feedback among our interns. Uh, the demand well. is really high. And again, if you get a CIIT graduate, nine times out of 10, that person it's really good but is this also now the etymology of how you wanted to create at least because of the experience that you've had in TIIT I'm pretty sure again there's a there's a there's a story here you know you wanted yeah. to be Nino then you wanted to fill the the lack of talent and now yeah. you saw the problem in the education sector and you wanted you created a startup out of that is that the path yeah, uh, actually, uh, for a time I was like for six, seven years, I was president of the school. Uh, and uh, concurrently, while I was running Anino Games as well. Uh, so, so like for like a couple of years, four years, we uh, tried all available software to run our school. Uh, like all available like solutions, we had it outsourced. We had it. Uh, we tried out other local startups. We tried out foreign software. Uh, none of those were working. And you know, after a while, uh, me and I met a co-founder. Uh, I just mentioned that uh, you know I have background in tech. Why don't I just uh, solve this problem ourselves? You know, there was no real software that was uh, made to optimize school operations. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, it was there to just digitize the operations, but it was not smart enough or, you know, um, and there are a lot of problems unique to, uh, I guess, the Philippine education market, you know, irregular students, those that take a leave of absence, especially mm -hmm. now with, you know, during the pandemic where a lot of students stopped and uh, the very, very strict like flowchart or curriculum prescribed by CHED that you have to follow. So those, um, those issues um, are not really being addressed by the software. And uh, I guess that's what motivated us to start uh, EduSuite was, you know, uh, we wanted a software that will not just uh, do enrollment or do your finance or do everything. We wanted the software to help optimize the operations of the school as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, EduSuite was a win-win on both sides. We made okay. a software that uh, we can sell to other schools and even schools other schools even became investors in the company. Wow. And okay. uh, <laughs> we also had a software that will help in, uh, improve operations of my school. So now my yeah. school was doing 15% more revenue. So, or wow. I, I think more than 20% more revenue than it did in the past. So actually the profits we made there was more than enough to fund the operations of the software company. So, so that was, uh, I guess, one of the reasons. It really started out as a prototype 
2017, I had this problem. I wanted to solve it. It was a prototype. Um, I met my co-founder, Kalen, because he was trying to solve the same problem. He was oh. with uh, uh, Ched Panel uh, yes, in yes, computer yes. science. Yes, so, shout out to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was going around the Philippines and you know, he said that the problem we're facing is not, it's the same problem that universities in Manila, Visayas, Mindanao were also facing. So, you know, it wasn't just unique to us. So we had a partnership, put programmers together, uh, built a prototype. Uh, prototype ran it in my school. <laughs> yeah, that's the good the thing, you know. Pig. We had a yeah, we had a <laughs> guinea pig. We had uh, you know, we had a client that will not get mad if things don't <laughs> don't right. turn out well. So uh, the prototype was successful, even though we had to fight a lot of fires early on yeah. uh, when we first ran it. But eventually, showed that software to the government. Government gave us a grant to turn it into a oh, company. They did wow. Yeah, so I think it was the first year they were giving out grants as well to private corporations. So uh, cool. so we were part of the pioneer batch. So we incorporated because the government gave us a grant to do nice. that. And that's how it became a company. Uh, mm-hmm. And now we're serving more than, uh, we're serving 16 clients, 26 schools in all uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, with EduSuite and hoping to grow that more because, you know, I've looked at a lot of other uh, local software and they're very far from uh, what we've developed. No, absolutely. Because again, you're solving your problem because you are a school owner yourself. You know exactly yes. what those real... It's not a, it's not an off-the-rack or you know, uh, ready-made DIY product that's there. You have to really tailor-fit it from an operator standpoint, which, is, which you are. That really did it. But if we just do, dig a deep dive on this and the product itself, what specific features or, or things that did you, you you actually built that is that is unique to EduSuite that I guess really that helped it um, you know become the product that it is today. Uh yeah you're exactly right that you know being a school president I know what the problems of the school registrar are or the finance department uh or like uh, any other you know the academics department what problems they were facing so when we built this product from day one we set out to solve those problems like uh like for example one of the big uh time time sinks of a university is irregular students doing academic oh. consulting right uh what what subject should i take oh you should take this one because there's a lot of post requisites this is only offered once a year okay. uh, uh you should take that so you graduate faster sooner rather than later yeah. uh and if you get and even though a lot of time goes into that uh schools still make a mistake that during the time that enrollment starts a lot of students petition for classes to be opened or some classes get dissolved because there were oh, not enough not students enough. to get yeah, into yeah. that yeah? so uh what we did was you know this this uh this consultation can be automated you know as soon as you log into the software the software will tell you that you know these are subjects you should take so that you graduate at the soonest possible time and we can aggregate all that data and uh come up with uh you know you should be opening five sections of um for example science three because you know half yeah. of science two students will fail so you should open science two <laughs> subjects so there's a predictive algorithm that uh wow. determines how many sections you should open because yeah. if you open like if you had demand for five sections but you open yeah. six 
that's going to be um, wasted expenses for the school. You'd be paying like right. one teacher more and one classroom more. But if you right. open only three or four sections, then you're leaving money at the table because, you know, uh, five sections of students wanted to take that subjects, but there are not enough classes. So if you're able to do all those computations early, then you'd get to hire your teachers early. You'd get to uh, allocate your resources right. Students will be taking more units per Per semester, well, because they have yeah, yeah they have exactly the same uh, you know what they need is exactly what the school is offering. Yeah, so yeah, uh, okay. so that's you know one of the things and just so capacity planning technically being able to yeah. be able to see how much seats you need to fill. So similar to how a BPO would do it, like you know like these are available seats. If you don't fill it out, you're technically losing money because your opex or your cost of whatever the the instructor's fee is standard. But if you don't have enough seats filled, then again, you waste time trying to consult and mix and match. Yeah, that's that's one aspect. Yeah. Capacity planning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we we solved other problems too, right? Uh, like for example, uh, what load to give the teachers. Usually it's a factor of which is your favorite teacher. Give <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll give him like enough subjects because you know uh, he doesn't give me problems. But if you're able uh, to like uh, I guess analyze the data on what uh, what uh, ratings the teacher gets in the past, and you know, if this is the subject you're offering, these are the top three teachers that you should be offering this class too but you know one two and three but two will be full because i have another class that i'd rather give to that and you know the system will suggest that way you know i didn't get the subject because i'm the favorite it's more because the data says that i'm the best person to teach this class uh that's another one and then you'd have stuff like auto scheduling where you know a schools would take weeks having index cards and you know yes, trying oh to mix and match and, you know what what <laughs> schedule uh should i give this class and uh you know does this match with the teacher schedule that i'm assigning to this class and right. it takes a long time for them to plan what the schedule is but you know yeah. with computers you can automate all that uh it's not going to be instant you just click a button uh it will try out thousands of combinations and you know within an hour it will tell, tell you that this is the best schedule I can come up with that minimizes conflict between the teachers and the classrooms and the students that uh, want to take this class. Again, this is amazing. And I just, I just can't imagine how a school would not want this. But I'll just look at the flip side. Education can be also very bureaucratic yes. in other schools, <laughs> right? Especially when you know, you're trying to... Uh, change the, the already incumbent systems and say, ah, but you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay. So especially, but how, what are the challenges? Cause I, I can just imagine my God, if, 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 and sometimes I guess it takes just the right person to run the school. If you're, you, the decision maker, I guess, isn't the right fit, then you're going to have to wait for that person's retirement. But how difficult was it to get the other, other schools involved? Because, if you're the guinea pig, it was easy to easily solve that for you. But when yeah. you start peddling this around to all these schools, though the problem exists, I'm pretty sure there was still a lot of pushback that you got. How did you persist through that and how did you get your clients? Uh, you're exactly right. It's really, really a slow grind for us to be able to uh, penetrate these schools. And what you'd find with uh, our current set of uh, clients are these are schools run by relatively young presidents who really want to implement uh, changes. Relatively young because you know the average school president is not. 
that young. <laughs> okay, what, what's your uh, average school president is like? I'm just, just curious. Uh, uh, I mean, someone who's been, sometimes. yeah, someone who spent their entire career in the school, I guess, and, you know, uh, a generation so have, at least higher than me. <laughs> uh, so it's really the, if you didn't broke, this is the tradition, don't break it type of mentality that you're dealing with, right? Here. Well, a lot of them would like to... Um, push forward with these changes but then you'd let a lot of pushback even from the people under them you know the change management stuff Stemic. and uh, yeah I guess the pandemic also helped that you know uh, well uh, you say it, it broke but apparently it's broken you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't uh, run your operations from your home right so right. a lot of schools needed to just go to school just to grade their students because their system was on-premise for example it's not right. cloud-based so a lot of it uh, changed with the pandemic uh, that you know, you really need to be ready for the digital age because you know, sooner or later it will uh, it will catch up with you. So, uh, so now our current set of clients are those that really wanted to uh, change the operations of their school, and now these clients are the same clients referring us to the other people in their association. That you know, you need the software. These guys. Uh, uh, Really did well with uh, with transforming how our school operations work, and you know they get to see the benefits. We had we'd have testimonials like uh, yeah. like in the past when we had an, our, our enrollment season, it was all hands on deck. Even the guidance counselors would help out, and the discipline officers and uh, <laughs> like the librarians would the help. Yeah, <laughs> would help in the enrollment. And right. now after they implemented our system during the enrollment is when I when we take our company outing. Ah, <laughs> right wow. because everything is being done online they just need to monitor it with their phone that you know how many people already enrolled so so uh but you know make no mistake it's still a hard grind it's still the same problem we're facing year after year after year that uh sometimes sales cycle would take more than a year just to close uh just to close a particular deal absolutely and last question before we take our last break you mentioned it's a hard grind, but what are the hardest parts? Again, there's the decision maker. I'm pretty sure there's layers and layers and layers of this too. But again, let's just zero in on the sector and shout out to Artie Lopez uh, of again uh, for for bringing uh, this up. That the ed tech sector of 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 startup pH needs a better highlight. And again, who who's better to to highlight him than the OG himself? But what are the the the, re, re, the is it the say for example is there is it a flavor of the month problem when i say flavor of the month problem in in investors you know uh they always say that oh i, I don't i'm not sure about edtech it's a slow grind whatever it's hard to raise funding or is it hard to again convince and it's a long sales cycle what 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 what's the state and how hard is it for you guys to really break through? Because you're really solving problems, is it? And yeah. that's what startups really do. Yeah, but we need to put more support in you guys. And how do we help you get over that hump? Uh, I guess when you talk about funding and you talk about VCs, uh, like a traditional like Silicon Valley type of VC would look at you know hyper growth companies, com- yeah. companies that can grow double digit week on week or you yeah. know month on month, right? And burn and, a lot of cash. Uh, yeah, and you know uh, burn a lot of cash to grow your user base. Uh, yep. Well, ed tech companies, well. Probably those that are uh, consumer facing, the B2C companies, they can do that. But for us B2B2 companies, uh, it doesn't work that way. It's mm. like really a strong grind. So we don't really fall into a hyper growth company. And uh, by that definition, even though uh, 
our growth is there you know we can be growing like three times a year year on year or something it might not be that type of company that they're looking that will grow like 100 million dollars in five years or something um so i guess in terms of vc we're not we're not the best company uh to be prioritizing Mm. uh, especially the b2b companies uh but the thing is like even in the philippines it's not just the vcs that are investing in startups there's a lot of uh i guess traditional investors and you you need to be creative with uh with uh how you're going to be raising money like for example uh i did mention that you know um our clients are schools and who own these schools? These are like the old families, you know, that have multiple businesses and have, uh, they're holding companies that they're looking to invest in other companies. So, you know, one creative thing we did with our company is no, no, we're not just selling to you. We're also open for investment. If you'd like to invest in our company. So that's how we raised our original, like, uh, I would guess angel or seed funding that we just got, uh, we got, uh, we got a group like, uh, the Manila angel investors network name to uh, put in the, uh, the valuation, ah, uh, even okay. though they didn't invest the majority of the amount of raising, they only uh, invested like a small portion. Yeah. Uh, they're the, the ones that, tone. yeah, they're, they're, they they the valuation for these other companies to invest in our company as well, nice. and it sort of convinced them that you know this is a good company to invest in. So, so yeah, it won't be you know you'll get. Uh, you'll get like a hundred million dollar valuation in a, mm. <laughs> in the span of uh, uh, a few years from when you started. It might not mm. be like that for a lot of B two B companies. Uh, it might be a slower grind for companies like us. And you know, for me, it's not a problem. I'm not. Um, you know, VCs are a lot of work as well. Having to report to them and. <laughs> And I like my quality of life. So, you know, (laughs) if we do, if we uh, deal with these guys, definitely I'll have less time for personal life. So, (laughs) (laughs) so sometimes I have to turn down like investor meetings because I'm going biking in Pagodpud or whatever. (laughs) And that's, that's good. And that's the best life you can get because if you're just also just chasing that thing and if you're, again, burnout is real, man. And, People, our employees sometimes like to th- like to talk about mental health problems as an employee. I'm not trying to compare, but my goodness, <laughs> shit we have to put through as founders. And the, and there's only a limited few people that can actually understand the real pain we go through and the struggles we have to go through. And sometimes you can't tell it because you you have to put a put on a face and tell everybody that yeah everything's gonna be all right, but inside yeah. you're dying. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's no other job that you have to, you know, take your problems with you to sleep uh, yeah. and wake up with them, right? And in your dreams too. They're, they're, <laughs> they're there majority of the time. All right. Now let's take our last break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about uh, how you then uh, are going to give advice to other uh, founders that have been in the game again. What's really impressive is that you've done it the right way, long game, and you've also uh, gotten a new suite, your school, and even an email profitable. Let's talk about that more after the break. 
Hey Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoostTime deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. 
Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We are still with Niel the Gondon. Again, told us this amazing journey already. And again, uh, I love it because I, I, I can totally relate because most of, all my startups that I've done are also interconnected as well. Party file when I did it, obviously I just it was my it was my college thesis and I plowed through that for seven years. Unfortunately, that failed. Um, but the reason why I put him chatbot BH because it's so hard to acquire users using an app. So I created just so happened to chance upon this new tech stack that allows people to automate how they message. So I built chatbot company. And you know, uh, I've always wanted to pay it forward, like what I said. So Hustle Share that eventually turned to Podcast Network Asia uh, out of my uh, wanting to pay it forward to the whole ecosystem. They're all interconnected. And that's the same thing that I hear with Niel. But one thing I really want to zero in, yeah, is this staying profitable. And you're right. You don't all startups when you when you see them now, especially the young kids, they don't understand that it's not zero sum that you only need to get fundraising. And when fundraising comes, you're already won. That's not true at all. <laughs> the, the real objective of a startup is to become a sustainable business, not burn cash. And the sooner you get that, the better. And what you've done with all the businesses that you've, you've created is you've created this by bootstrapping, steadily increasing revenue, making the hard calls if needed be to stay afloat without sinking the whole ship, but still eventually getting there. What would be your advice, Neil, for those for for those entrepreneurs who are now listening? Oh, yeah, I want to raise five hundred million dollars, right? But never figured out product market fit, never reached profitability. Because again, it's rare that you have companies that are like this now. But it should be common in a traditional business setting. Yeah, uh, just to you know uh, comment on one of the things you said. Uh, you know. We didn't bootstrap everything. There are times that I took on funding, you know, from from family, from banks, from even okay. from external investors. So, uh, but yeah, whenever we take funding, uh, the first thing that I would say that you know, first of course, you really need to have a, a sound business model. If your business, your unit economics is, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I can. Uh, if it's not good, <laughs> I yes. would say it's shit. I'm not sure if you, go you know, ahead. You can <laughs> You know, if your business model is shit, right? Uh-huh. It, it's not gonna work uh, long term. You, know, you can pour all the money into it, and it's not gonna be uh, profitable long term. So uh, your unit business economics or your business model really needs to be sound from the start. And uh, if you had something to start on, then there's something that you can optimize. But if it's not there to begin with there's nothing to optimize right and the second thing if we really do take funding you know whether it's from banks or family we don't show them unrealistic projections you know whenever we do our projections uh we really believe that we can hit those numbers uh like a vc i talked to that you know uh he was saying that you know whatever a founder tells you 
their model is or their uh, projections are, divide it by two immediately. They're not even <laughs> going to be hitting half that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, whenever I do my own like uh, projections, it's really uh, something that's uh, that's going to be sustainable, something that's re- really going to be uh, profitable for me long term. And that's something I even translate to the like goals and you know annual goals or quarterly goals of the people on my team so um so we just don't say that you know we're gonna double our profits next year or we're gonna triple our revenue next year it's really something that i can translate internally that these are the numbers that uh we need we need to hit because at the end of the day you need to play the long game right you need to yeah. be realistic in uh, what sort of growth you're uh, going to be able to get to. And if the investor would say, I would like $100 million in growth, and you know, uh, you tell them that, no, it's not going to be that. At most in the Philippine market, we'll hit $5 million. You know? uh, it's not going to be a fit with you guys. So uh, you really need to know uh, what sort of investor you're taking in, or even with bootstrapping, you really need to know that if we're going to be taking a hit now because we're going to hire like five more people or 10 more people on our team, when are you going to be profitable if we add those people, uh, if we add that uh, those expenses to our payroll, right? Uh, how many how much uh, revenue or how much sales do we need to make in order to be able to recover that and making a realistic projection of uh, how much cash you'll need to burn in order to get there uh, is something that experience will teach you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And again, no, ma- no matter, no amount of foresight from us here, the old dudes like, like, like us would tell you like, hey, you should do this. There are just some things you really have to go through. And these are those things that, you know, oh my God, so I have to like balance out cash flow, especially cash is king. Anywhere. The reason why you fundraise is because you want to make sure you have enough runway to get there. It's literally just a matter of how fast you want to get there. And that's where funding is, but it's not the end. It's a means. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Right. Now, um, as a founder, again, I don't ask ask this thing uh, as much, but, you know, especially during the downtimes if you're if you've been around this long and again it's the, the thrill is in the journey but when things are rough yeah how do you cope because that's i've seen younger founders also cave in faster and that's probably because of uh of you know also youth or inexperience but now we have the benefit of seeing the worst that, that we living through them but through this journey that you've already done uh what's the what's the go-to strategy now that you use whenever things get rough and how do you uh rise above the ashes when those happen um i think the term really here is about you know compartmentalization like mentally you'd have to compartmentalize your problems with uh the company and you know these are another set of problems uh i guess that's the general attitude that i have that you know at the end of the day even if my company goes down i still have food on my table (laughs) i still have a house to live in right so uh, putting things into perspective is one Uh, another thing that i would say coping is really doing other things uh like the first thing i got into early on like during my uh game development days because those were like some of the most stressful times uh i got into mountaineering because oh uh, wow <laughs> because you know for mountaineering uh where you're up there hiking or mountain climbing uh you have to empty out your mind you have to not think of anything other than what's the next hold or what's the next 
you know what uh, step I'm going to take <laughs> <laughs> because if you don't you're not fully aware if you're thinking about your work then you know yeah. it's it's going to be a life threatening situation for you you can zero so, out yeah yeah so it it uh it helps me that I get and it also puts things into perspective right when you're yeah. up in the mountain caught in a storm where you know you can freeze to death you know you'd think yeah. that you know these other problems you know i can deal with them you know if i can deal with this i can deal with other you things made it as out well there. Yeah. yeah so so it's something i carry to this day you know the pandemic sort of stopped the mountaineering uh, my mountaineering yeah. hobby right now i'm into uh, long distance biking yeah uh, other stuff like uh uh triathlons and whatnot yep. same i started biking also just over a year ago um and it just <laughs> clears your mind you know yeah. it, it, you're, you're you're trying to be competitive trying to make sure that your strava is getting a little bit more personal records a little bit uh but yeah it it, it really uh helps in terms in terms of compartmentalizing your view all right now last question before i let you go because this is just, again such an amazing uh episode that you we have here but you know, if if you're giving a chance to I'll, I'll lend you the keys to my uh, also shared time machine from Project 23 Communing Road. There you go. Um, and give the opportunity to give advice to your variant from 20 years ago. What would be the advice that you'd be giving to yourself? Because again, hindsight is always 2020. But now you have that hindsight. What would that be like? Uh, I guess at that time, we really didn't have all these, you know, start up frameworks or lessons that we have now so i think when i started my business validating wasn't really the thing so you know we build a product and see when and we throw it to the market and see if it's gonna work so i guess when when if i was gonna talk to myself the first thing i would have to talk to myself about was uh, validating our product so you know that's a lesson that i applied like uh, now in my current businesses that we validate everything before we uh, throw it to the market. So, you know, number one would be validation. And uh, number two, uh, when I talked about HR, it's like hire the correct people, you know, hire right. That's a, that's a big lesson that, you know, you need to, uh, if you hire the right people, then work will be half as easy. But if you hire the wrong people, you would be doubling your work because you would be doing the work of the other people as well. Yeah. I just I I I I I'm speechless because I agree. You know, uh, the last thing, unfortunately, as the founder, when you hire the wrong people, what ends up happening is you're gonna have to play superhero mode instead of being the captain of the ship, where we have full perspective of zone out. If you're zooming in too much, trying to put out fires because your people isn't the right fit, then you're also just doing a disservice to your company. Again, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. But before I let you go again, Eddie Sweet or CIIT, or if they want to work with you, please invite people over to uh, try out Eddie Sweet if somebody here is very interested to work with you or collaborate with you uh, as well. Where do they go and how do they do that? Uh, well, we don't give out URLs anymore because no one remembers that. But, you know, just Google <laughs> EduSuite. It's okay. E-D-U-S-U-I-T-E or Google uh, CIIT College. And, Come you know, the road. There you go. Uh, if you talk to a chatbot, just say, you know, I want to talk to a real person. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can always get in touch. You know, it's nielniel at lagondon.com. Uh, 
There you go. Again, before I let you go, Neil, thank you so much. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast app. And if you see a star rating there, please give us five stars. If you can also get some feedback, just like Neil, what Neil does for his, his instructor using Suite. But again, if we did say some jargon, and I think we did, it's going to be in your show notes on hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be part of our community, it's going to be in the Hustleshare community on Facebook. Again, Neil, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Ron. All right, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.